BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Elisa Pressman, and today we're talking to psychotherapist Lori Gottlieb. You might recognize her from her New York Times bestselling book, Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, or her popular podcast, Dear Therapist, or her Atlantic column that she writes called Dear Therapist. She's awesome. And I wanted to have a conversation with her from a therapist perspective. How can we learn to be better listeners and connect with our kids so that they feel like we're a safe place for them to come to talk about what's going on with them? We're also distinguishing between secrecy and privacy, between connection and codependence. And really, it's about how we can grow healthy, connected relationships without losing ourselves and without kind of swallowing our kids. If you enjoy this episode and you feel like it, go ahead and write a little review, give it a five-star rating, and of course, DM me on Instagram at Raising Good Humans Podcast. You can also sign up for my Apple Premium content, which is continuing our mindfulness for busy parents. And of course, my free Substack newsletter, DrLisaPressman.Substack.com. So much fun stuff. I wanted to have a little departure from my typical conversations because I thought it would be so cool, which I also imagine you've gotten quite used to just from splitting your work between therapy and kind of talking to the world and some disclosures of your own. So I just thought we could enjoy a conversation about some of the observations you've made in what adults are talking about in therapy, about their earlier experiences that kind of you wish you could go back and share with parents? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting because I think that a lot of parents sometimes, or a lot of what people talk about about their parents is, why can't my parent just be like this, right? So these are the adults talking about their parents. And I always say, a lot of us parents are kind of unhealed children sometimes that if we haven't done the work to get clear on what worked or didn't work from our own childhoods, we tend to repeat that even though we think I'm never going to do that. I'm going to do the opposite of that. So I think those of us who have worked on our childhoods tend to do the kind of parenting that we want to do. And by that, I mean, we are not perfect. That means that we're just more aware as parents. Yeah. And I actually, I think that's a really important point to make over and over again is that 
not only are we not perfect, we would it would not serve our children if we were perfect because then they would have to live up to our perfect selves, which they couldn't because it's impossible. So even if we were pretending, it would it would not serve anyone. I guess I want to kind of tap into the awareness part, which we can all achieve, at least some coming to terms with our experience. How could you guide people who haven't had a chance to be in a therapeutic relationship, but they really do want to start to think about what their experience was being parented so that they can have that awareness in their own relationship with their children or child? Well, I think the first thing is that sometimes we overcompensate because we want to make sure that our child gets what we didn't get. But by overcompensating, we're actually doing our children a disservice. So for example, if you felt like your parents were not involved enough or didn't pay enough attention to you, then you're constantly trying to monitor, I want my kid to be happy. I want to make sure that my kid feels seen and heard and understood. And then you don't give them the opportunity to kind of sit with some of their more uncomfortable feelings. And that is not an abandonment. So it's not like go in your room and think about it. That's an abandonment. But being able to be present for your child without trying to take away that feeling or fix that feeling for them. So for example, your kid comes home and they say, you know, I'm really worried about this thing, whatever they're worried about. And then you get really uncomfortable. You think, oh my gosh, my kid is worried. I want to make sure they know I'm here for them. And so you say, oh, don't worry about that, right? And and you're trying to reassure them to take away the worry. But what they really need is for someone to just use these three words and say, tell me more. So then they know you're with them. You're giving them the gift of your presence. You don't want to be an overbearing presence. You want to be someone who can calmly in a grounded way, sit there with them and they'll tell you what they're worried about. And you're not there to talk them out of their feeling. You're there to say, tell me about this. Oh, I can see why you would be worried about that. I can see that. What do you want to do about that? Any ideas, that kind of thing. You know, sometimes they'll be like, oh, I'm really sad because, you know, so-and-so didn't sit with me at lunch today. And then the parent's like, they're terrible. You know, like, And they start like really getting overly, overly protective as opposed to, oh, that must hurt a lot. What do you think happened between you? Right. Or sometimes parents won't even talk about it at all. And they'll say, oh, don't be sad. Let's go get ice cream. Let's go to Disneyland. Right. Right? You can't, you're not allowed to feel sad because when I was a child, I felt sad so much and it felt awful and I felt alone in it. So I'm going to make sure you're happy, happy, happy. We don't think this consciously. It's not like parents are going around thinking that. It's just when you notice yourself with your child saying, I get really uncomfortable when my child is uncomfortable. Well, that's a sign that maybe you need to step back and be able to sit with your child in their feelings as opposed to having it trigger all of your feelings from when you were a child. Right. And and one way to think about it maybe that helps is rather than imagining you're fixing your child's feelings, imagining by doing that, you're fixing your feelings and not giving space for your child to just experience the range of feelings and know that that's survivable. Yeah. Well, the the biggest thing you want to teach them is self-regulation. Self-regulation is not denying the feeling. So for example, if they get angry, 
it's fine to be angry. Everybody gets angry. What are you going to do when you get angry? It is not okay to hit someone when you get angry, but what can you do instead when you're angry? You know, it's totally normal to be angry about that. I understand why you're angry, but here's what we can do with our anger. And, and that's such a good tool for them to learn. I mean, these are, you're setting the template for their adult relationships. So what do you do, by the way, when you get angry? Do you yell? Do you cry? Do you blame other people? Do you get out of control? In other words, are you dysregulated mm -hmm. or are you teaching them regulation? Like when you did that, that made me really angry or I'm really angry because I asked you not to touch that thing and now you spilled whatever on that thing, right? And that makes me really angry. And here's what's going to happen because of that. Not, you know, I'm going to act like a dysregulated child. And so what we need to do is we need to be adults, but we need to be human. So being an adult doesn't mean hiding your feelings. Being an adult doesn't mean not being able to regulate our feelings. It means showing your feelings, but in a way that feels safe and grounded and not frightening to your child. Like people think, oh, I can't cry in front of my child because they're going to be scared. If right. something sad happens, it's that's okay. And you can say, I'm yeah. sad because so-and-so is sick and that makes me sad and I care about my friend. That's, that's right. and, showing and them, oh, yes, it's appropriate. It's appropriate and it's okay to, it's important to say this. It's always so, I think, validating when you can hear someone who's looking at it from the other side, like from a therapeutic lens, say that because you know that on the other side of the question is often a parent who's saying, I just sobbed in front of my child. Did I just scar them for life? And it's like, well, what was the context of your crying? And did your child know mm -hmm. that? Yes, you're sad. And yes, you're able to take care of both yourself and your child. Like it's not on them to fix yes. your sad. We call that the parentified child. That is not what you want your child to grow up with, which is when they feel like they have to be the parent, that they feel like they have to take care of your emotions. It's not even that you're asking them to do that. It's that you somehow communicate non-verbally that they need to fix your sadness or whatever's going on in your marriage, or you're going to treat them like your confidant and you're telling them things that are not appropriate for you to be talking to them about, or they see that, you know, you're having trouble with, you know, your, your mother, your partner, whatever. And they feel like, oh, mom's really sad about that. So I'm going to have to cheer her up. That is not what you want your kid to be feeling. So again, it's okay to be sad if you're if you're so sad that you're you know like your child is feeling like they have to help you you need to go see a therapist and get someone appropriate to help you this episode is sponsored by better help we know that learning something new about ourselves is part of the reason why we're all here so Thinking about getting to know ourselves and this lifelong process can be particularly helpful and can be something you can explore in therapy, which is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding and helping you figure out what you want, understand why or how you're reacting in particular ways. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. I am a developmental psychologist. My world is thinking about mental health, how we come to be who we are, and the growth of humans. So I'm certainly a fan of therapy for those of you who are seeking 
extra support. BetterHelp is entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. And basically, you just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. So discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash humans today to get 20% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash humans. Betterhelp.com slash humans to get 20% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash humans. And a quick break so I can tell you a little bit about my sponsor, Seed. This episode is also brought to you by Seed. Habit stacking is the idea that you can build a major habit by thinking small enough to get started. Think, keep a glass of water and your DS01 daily symbiotic on your bedside table so you remember to take your symbiotic first thing every day. It's as simple as that. So other kinds of habit stackings we talk about all the time, just those small steps for having a mindfulness practice. You don't need to set aside half an hour a day. You can start with I'm going to sit for 20 seconds, one minute, once a day. I'm going to find just that time to pay attention. These kinds of habits, little by little every day, become big habits that you can keep and they're manageable. So habit stack your seed. I keep my seed DSO1 glass jar right by my makeup remover so I can remember it's one of my additions to prep for when I'm going to bed. So Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is a plant-based prebiotic and probiotic with 24 strains that have been clinically or scientifically studied for its benefits, 53.6 billion AFU. And there's no soy, no sugar, no sesame. It's vegan, gluten-free, peanut-free, everything-free, dairy-free, shellfish-free, corn-free, no binders, no preservatives. It's just, it's just... Two capsules once a day on an empty stomach, which is why I do it before bed. Benefits are everything from digestive health to skin health. So start a new healthy habit today. Visit seed.com slash raising and use the code raising to redeem 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. That's seed.com slash raising and use the code raising. As a therapist, from your perspective, working with adults, do you feel like this sea change of talking about feelings and honoring feelings and so much information out there, potentially like some, in some ways, almost pathologizing a lot more than needs to be pathologized? Yes. Yes. Actually, I wrote a piece several years ago. It was a cover story for The Atlantic called How to Land Your Kid in Therapy, Why Our Obsession with Our Kid's Happiness Might Be Dooming Them to Unhappy Adulthoods. So anyone can find that piece. And it's really about this idea that we are so obsessed with making up for whatever we didn't get as kids. And this whole culture, by the way, of making sure that at every minute our kids are okay and not feeling any discomfort. And so, you know, there's this, there's this moment in the piece where I'm about to go to the market and I have, you know, that time my son was like a toddler and, you know, I was like, should we go to this market or this market? And then, and then it was like, when we're in the market, do you want this or do you want this? And it's like, everything would take forever. And it just like, buy the yogurt, 
You know, the kid will yeah. eat the yogurt. It's fine. And, and so, you know, it gets to that point. And I think it's this thing where almost like your kid says like, oh, this thing is, you know, like, oh, I, I, I kind of feel like I, I'm tired this morning or whatever. And they go to school or something. They're worried about something that's going to happen at school. And then they come home and then we like, we, the first thing that happens is they get in the car and we interview them for pain. Totally. You know, it's like, and how did that test go? And like, how's your stomach ache? And are you okay? And, you know, as opposed to just like, hi, it's great to see you. And then stop talking. And to see what they talk about instead of interviewing them for pain, like, did this go okay? Did that go okay? What happened here? Like, can you imagine if you came home from work and, 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 you know, the first thing that happens, you walk in the door and everyone's like, and what happened at this meeting? What happened at that meeting? And how did this go with your coworker? Totally. So incredibly stressed out by that. I have to say interviewing for pain is such a wonderful way of putting it because how many of us do that, especially when we're worried and especially when on top of that, we feel like the world is telling us from the mouths of experts even that like we're supposed to really communicate and really be in relationship, which we are. And also Let's like stop interviewing kids for pain when they get in the car and imagine what it would be like for us every day. That's such a great way of putting it. I think what your kid wants to know is that you delight in them, but they aren't your entire life so that you, they can see you having friends. They can see you doing things that are meaningful to you or purposeful for you. If you have a career that you love, if you have, you know, things that you love to do, you know, that you have a whole life and community around you, that your marriage or, you know, if you're, if you're single, that you're, you have friends and a community, whatever it is, but that you have a life and that your kids are obviously, you know, this, this incredible, important part of your life, but not that you're living for them or through them. And so a lot of the times when you're so involved with like the minutia of every part of their day, they don't learn how to do the executive functioning stuff. They don't learn how to manage the things they need to manage. Like, how do I keep my class schedule? And how do I keep track of this? And how do I talk to my teacher if I want to? They'll come to you, right? If they want something, believe me, they'll come to you. If you create a safe space, if they see you as a stable, benevolent, loving presence, which is not an overbearing presence, they probably will not come to you if, ironically, you think you've made yourself so available to them because you're asking about every aspect of their lives. But that's too much. That's overwhelming for them. They want to know that it's going to be a really calm conversation. And I have a teenager now. And so my teenager has always said that, you know, when, when people say like, well, what makes it easy for you to talk to your mom about things? And he said, I know she's not going to freak out. That I can go and, I, and talk to her and she's not going to freak out that I'm going to be able to have the conversation, even if she doesn't want to hear the thing that I'm talking about, or she's disappointed in the thing I'm talking about, that we're going to problem solve this together and we're going to be able to talk about it. And so then he can come to me before it's like at the freak out stage. Like He can come to me with sort of anything and ask me any question and I'm not going to freak out about it. And we're going to have a real back and forth about it. And I think when they're younger, it's the same thing that, you know, it's like if they got a bad grade on something, they want to be able to come to you and say, 
I really, I got a bad grade on this, or I did this thing, or I acted out at recess or whatever happened. And then instead of you being like, oh my gosh, what do we do? It's like, oh, what do you think happened? Do you need extra help in that class? Do you need to meet with the teacher? Did you not plan your time well? Are you struggling in some way? What do you think is going on? And see what's happening with that. Actually, those are great scenarios where we could see ourselves if we're in this state of distress over the distress, like you see the grade and you say like, I'll call the teacher. I'll call. That was 1902. I'll email email the teacher. I will let you know, like, we'll fix this if you don't get invited to the birthday party, if you didn't get into the college. Like there are so many moments where our response in those small ways early on can predict maybe how open our kids will be as they get older and older, how we can handle it. Yeah. I think about like, you know, this, this mom that I saw and, you know, her, her child didn't, her child she thought was extremely talented in theater and she probably was, but she didn't get the lead in the school play. And the mom was furious and she literally spent sessions, you know, talking, you know, and it's like, this didn't happen to you. This happened to your kid, first of all. Right. And we forget that sometimes that, you know, this is happening in my child's life, not it's not something that happened personally to me, but sometimes we have to sit back and say, why is this bothering me so much? The mom was incensed and then the the daughter got incensed. And I said, you know, let's imagine that your daughter comes to you, like in the future, something like this happens, because there will be times when she's not going to get what she wants. It's just life. So maybe she was the most qualified for it. There might be a job that she's most qualified for, and she might not get it, and that's okay, but she needs to know it's okay. And so Instead of saying like, wow, that is really disappointing. You worked so hard. You rehearsed so hard for that. You're so talented. I'm so sorry you didn't get that. That's really hard. Instead, what the daughter hears is, that's terrible. That teacher favors the other person. You're so much more talented. You should have had that. What are we going to do about this? And then the daughter gets all worked up about this. That is so unfair. And I should have had that. And this girl, she's not as talented as I, right? And what we really want to teach them is how do you deal with the fact that sometimes you're not going to get the things that you want? Sometimes it will be fair. Sometimes it won't. Sometimes it will be really subjective like this with the school play. And maybe there was favoritism and maybe someone's parent was whoever they are. And that's also the world that your your child is going to have to be an adult in. And so how will they deal with disappointment? If you can teach them how to deal with disappointment and not get crushed by it and not, not become helpless, like, well, the world is unfair, so I'll never try for anything again. You don't want that. You want, okay, this happened this time. Let's see what's going to happen next time. You're going to work just as hard for the next one. You know, where can you do theater where you're going to really like it? Sometimes you're going to have, you know, a, a theater director that you love. And sometimes you'll have someone that you don't love as much. And how do we deal with the people that we don't love as much? That's what we can teach them. And I, you know, I'm sure as people are listening, they're imagining those moments of like, <gasps> I totally get that invested. But I think what you said before we should really speak to a little bit more, which is that we often feel like having our kids be the center of the universe is some, you know, is a way of showing them how much we love them. And that's a way for them to feel felt and loved. But in fact, what a 
what a burden that can be. And so what's a healthier way of maybe looking at it? And also, of course, we love our kids and they're the sun, moon, and stars. I think both of those things are true. But but I, what you mentioned is really important to think about because it does help us separate ourselves enough to be compassionate in those moments instead of spend many sessions with the therapist feeling the same, like as if they just got rejected from the school play. Yes. Also, you know, in my book, I talk about the difference between idiot compassion and wise compassion. So idiot compassion is what we tend to do with our friends where they say, listen to what my boss, my mother, my partner, my sibling, whatever just did. And we're like, yeah, you're right. They're wrong. You know, you go girl. (laughs) Right. And, and sometimes what happens is we don't see our own role in the situation. And, you know, it's kind of like if a fight breaks out and everybody you're going to, maybe it's you, but we don't (laughs) say that to our friends. So like sometimes with our kids, you know, it might be like they keep getting in these kind of like kind of friendships that that are not really healthy for them, or maybe they're not being healthy in the friendship, or maybe as they get older in their sort of romantic relationships. And it helps to kind of help them reflect on, yes, this other person did this, And then what do you think you could do differently? You're not blaming them. And maybe there's nothing they could have done differently, but sometimes maybe there is, right? And so I think that what we want to offer them is wise compassion, which is what a therapist will offer instead of idiot compassion. But we can also offer it to the people that we love, which is you hold up a mirror to them and you help them to see something about their own role in the situation, maybe that they haven't been able to see. And that's a real gift. Because then the next time things might go better if they can understand, oh, maybe next time when my friend does that, I'm going to do this differently, right? Because, or maybe, yeah, I haven't been really understanding my friend's perspective. And one of the best things we can teach our kids is perspective taking. Like, okay, this is your perspective and it's valid. It's completely valid. I can see it from your perspective. If your friend were telling this story right now, how might he or she tell it? How might your friend tell this story? What would their version of the same events be? And then that brings out this compassion in your child. Like, well, you know, and it's like nobody's really right or wrong, or maybe you both were a little bit wrong, right? And maybe you're both a little bit right. But maybe that helps you understand how these relationships can go more smoothly. So you don't keep having that same argument with your friend or so that you can repair this. Right. And I think it's especially important to do So I have a son and I think it's especially important to do with boys Mm. because, you know, I think that we still, and I see this from very young, I mean, just watching as a parent, having a boy, it was really interesting to watch when they're really little, like at the park and let's say that they fall and you see like with the girls, the parents are like, oh, are you okay? With the boys, it's like, you know, pick it up. You're good. Don't worry about it. You know, and like your kid actually got hurt, right? Mm-hmm. But the boys are taught like you're not allowed to cry. You're not allowed to get hurt in that way. You're not allowed to have feelings in that way. And just the, the kind of messages that they're going to get out in the world are so toxic about, you know, what is masculinity? And so what happens is they grow up and I have men come into my office and they'll say, you know, I've never told anyone this before. And then they tell me the thing and it's the kind of thing that, Women talk about over lunch, you know, with their friends, right? Right. Because, but they, and they might have a great marriage. They might have great friends. They might have really supportive family, but they feel like as a guy, I cannot talk about this. Women will come in and they'll say, 
I've never told anyone this before, except for my mother, my sister, my best friend. So maybe they've told like one, two or three people, but they feel like they have someone usually that they can tell something about whatever it is that they feel is so shameful or something that they feel is so personal or so vulnerable. Or it's going to be really deep. Like maybe like it's not the thing that we would have heard over lunch. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and it's interesting because when I see couples and, and if I'm seeing a couple where it's like the, usually it's, it's, it's a woman who will ask a guy and I see all kinds of couples, you know, I don't only, only see heterosexual couples, but let's say I'm seeing a heterosexual couple and the woman usually says, you know, I just want to get close to you. I feel like we we're kind of disconnected. I want to hear more about your inner life. And he starts to open up to her. And let's say that he starts tearing up or even crying. Inevitably, she will look at me like a deer in the headlights. Like, And what comes out is I don't feel safe when we're not emotionally connected, when you're not telling me what's going on, but I don't feel safe when you're really being vulnerable and crying. And then I feel like I have to take care of you, right? So where, what is that messaging? So what is that messaging that we give to our partners? But what is that messaging we give to our boys? Like, do we really feel that uncomfortable where we don't even realize that after a certain age, we have said to our boys, and it happens really young, by the way, it's not just like, you know, at the park when they fall down, oh, you're good, brush it off, get up, look, watch them if they play sports, listen to what their coaches say to them. And they don't say the same thing to the girls. It's like, if you're bleeding, it's okay that you're a crime, you know what I mean? And you don't even right. have to be bleeding. But, but the, you know, like I remember my son, he, he literally broke his arm. And the message was just get back up. And it was like, his arm is hanging off. Right. <laughs> and we had to take him to the ER. <laughs> it's like, really? So I think that as parents with the boys, we really want to, you know, make sure that they have this emotional fluency that they can talk about that you can have a, a larger spectrum of, of emotions than just I'm good or I'm angry. Those are the only two things we let boys feel, you know, like, oh yeah, he's, he's a boy, he's angry, but can we let them feel worried? Can we let them feel hurt, rejected, sad, vulnerable, scared? And then can we let them talk about that the way that we would let our girls talk about that? And that is so important for how they're going to be when they have relationships, when they grow up. How are they going to be as partners? How are they going to be as parents? If you're having any gut issues or you're just feeling like the, your skin's going a little wacky or you just have low energy, it's time to try Saqqara. They have this new Saqqara system targeted program that's designed to make things way easier for you to be healthy on a busy schedule and with no time to sort of sift through everything and all the ingredients and everything, you could just know that they've been focused for you. Sakara delivers science-backed plant-rich nutrition programs and wellness essentials right to your door. Their ready-to-eat meals are nutritionally designed to deliver results. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash humans or enter the code humans at checkout. That's S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash humans to get 20% off your first order. Sakara dot com slash humans with no time to sort of sift through everything and all the ingredients and everything. You could just know that they've been focused for you. That's S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash humans to get 20% off your first order. Sakara dot com slash humans. 
take a week, give yourself the gift of just the ease of it all and knowing that you are putting super healthy foods into your body and just see how it makes you feel. This is more true for boys and how we are with boys, but this is, there are also kids who just aren't disclosers. How do you get the non-disclosers? Like, what are some ways in there? Now, of course, it's interesting because if somebody's coming to you, they've made a decision. They might not know how to do it yet, but they've made a decision that they're reaching out for support. So how do you go into these relationships with other people, particularly our young people, and give them that messaging through actions and language that can help them feel like you're sort of like a safe place for them to open up. And if you can't open up with words, what other ways can you connect? Kids take in so much more of what we do than what we say. So they're watching our actions. So you can tell them, oh, it's safe. Come talk to me. But if they don't feel safe, they're not going to come talk to you. And so there, and you have to know your kid. And that's what I think is really important too, is that, you know, it's, it's a process of, I need to know this. I need to get to know this human. That's our job as parents is what is the operating system for this human? Because that's going to be different from any other human on the planet, just like we are. And so some kids really like to talk when they're many kids, but not all like to talk when they're not facing you. And so, especially if they're in the backseat of a car, really good. They don't have to make eye contact. You know, you're sitting side by side watching TV with them and you're watching a show that, you know, has like teen drama in it or whatever it is. And you start talking about like, oh, that's really interesting. Like, you know, or what do you think about that? But you're not like, it's not a lesson. It's just something that's really organic and you're not going to do it throughout the whole show. But, you know, or even if you see them watching a show and you're like, what are you watching? And they're like, oh, I'm watching this. And you're like, oh, what do you like about it? And they'll be like, oh, it's really interesting because, and that'll bring up some situation sometime that you can relate back to the TV show, right? Like, remember when this character went through that? That reminds me of that. Or what do you think about the way that they handled that relationship, right? Like, but, you know, is that something that happens at your school, right? Is that, is that does that happen with your friends? So it's like little things. It's not like we're going to have a conversation. Nobody, nobody wants that. And also, I think, too, that respecting our kids' privacy, that there's a difference between secrecy and privacy. So secrecy is like there is something that I am, you know, I cannot share the truth of who I am. I am ashamed. I'm going to get in trouble. That's secrecy. Privacy is just I need a little corner for myself, like that's just mine. So I don't need to tell my parents every interaction I have in my social life or everything that happens at school or everything that I'm thinking, that we all need a place that's ours, like a room of our own, but in our own mind and in our own heart. And I think that the parents who are very sort of controlling or feel like they're being close with their kids are like, my child is my best friend and I know everything about my child. You're not giving your child that, that space that they need to be their own autonomous person. And I think that that, that autonomy is really important, you know, and, and letting them also just autonomy in terms of responsibilities and letting, you know, not doing things for them that they're completely capable of doing. I see so much of like, you know, 10 year olds who aren't allowed to do things that, you know, like they're being treated like they're like five. 
and yes. and they're in middle school and you know how are they not allowed to kind of do some things independently so i think it's i think it's when you talk about you know how do you how do you create that safe space for them i think part of it is that you trust them you trust them to have some privacy and that you trust them to have some autonomy and i think that they feel that kind of respect so they feel safe with you that if i come to you you trust me, you know that I'm based, you know, that I'm a good person and I make mistakes and I'm coming to you with this, or I'm really unsure about this, or I'm uncomfortable talking about this, or I want your advice about this. And they know that you're not going to be overbearing, but you're going to do much more listening than talking. And that's the thing when, you know, when I say about those three words, tell me more, you literally stop talking. You want to make sure, I remember when I was training to be a therapist and one of my clinical supervisors said to us, you have two ears and one mouth. There's a reason for that ratio. <laughs> and I've always remembered that as a parent, when I feel myself just talking and talking, I, I think especially when he was little, it was like, what am I even saying at this point? Like, is he like, he's probably tuned out like three minutes ago. Right. So, you know, you have two ears and one mouth, use your ears, keep that ratio in mind, just say your thing and stop talking and let there be silence. Your kid will fill it in or they won't. And can you be with your kid in silence? Can you just be like having a snack or something? And, or you're kind of nearby enough. So like they're doing their thing in a room nearby and you're, you're available. You're there. You're doing your thing. You're, you know, on your computer. But if they come into your room, you look away from your phone that you're actually like, Oh, hi. And you're, receptive and friendly and warm, not like, oh, what's the matter? Oh, no. Right. Because there are those parents who immediately assume there's something wrong and they get worried and the kid doesn't want to talk. So it's like, hey, yeah, come. What's up? But you're just really casual about it. Can we learn to be just more casual with our kids? Yeah. I th if we could make things less intense, it's, yes. it's like we've gotten so intense and I totally understand why I think it's in the service of these relationships, but it's like counterproductive. Right. And you know, I, I have this column, the dear therapist column. And one of my most popular columns was this mom who wrote in and her kid was going to college. And she said the, you know, my kid has this like ridiculous, impractical career plan. And I don't know what to do. And so I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be something where maybe she needs to kind of give him a little bit of guidance. But then I read the letter <laughs> and the letter is he's going to college. He's going to like, like he's, 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 he's like about to see, he's going to be a freshman in college. He's going to college, but he wants to be a stand-up comedian. So he's going to be doing stand-up comedy, but he's also majoring in writing because he's really interested in that. And he's, you know, and he has a plan for what he wants to do if the stand-up doesn't work out. And I'm like, your kid is so responsible. Your kid isn't like, I'm going to not go to college and I'm going to like try to live on, I don't even know what, and try to be a stand-up comedian. And like, your kid is planning this out. And she's already like, he's going to be 35 and living in the basement. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, he's 17. He's about to turn 18. And I want you to trust your child because your child has shown that he is trustworthy. Your child has shown, and let's say that your kid ends up not being able to support himself. What are some things that you can talk about, about like, here's how I would, here's how, here's how we would help you or maybe not. Right. And it would be, and here we may, would you maybe do this for a year after college? 
and we'd let you do this and we'd help you with this, or we'd work out some kind of loan, or maybe we wouldn't, or maybe you could move home for a year, or maybe you couldn't, right? But let's talk about what those things would look like. But right now, your kid is being super responsible. And instead of saying like, yeah, and oh, and by the way, she said, I think he has real talent. Like I've seen him do it and he does really well at it, right? So, so it's like, really encourage your child, be there for your child. Yes. Here are two things. Yes. Let's look at how people who do this career make a living. And also, I love how talented you are. And even if he ends up not doing stand-up comedy, how great that when he goes to job interviews, he's going to kill it in those interviews because he knows how to have an audience. He knows how to draw people's attention. He knows how to get people to connect with him. That is a great skill in any job, even if he wants to be like an investment banker, right? Or something like completely the opposite or an accountant or a dentist or go into advertising or, you know, like there's so many things where those skills are transferable. So I think that as parents, when you talk about, well, right, 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 right. But when you talk about the intensity, okay, it's like we start futurizing, we start catastrophizing and futurizing and trying to control everything and make sure it's all going to work out and smooth the path. whereas What I hear most from people who come to therapy later as young adults, like in their 20s or even in their 30s, is not, I regret that I tried. It's, I regret that I didn't. Do you want your kid to be one of those people on my couch saying, I regret that I didn't try because my parents scared the bejesus out of me that this was not a practical decision? So I went to medical school. So I went to law school. So I didn't, you know, try this thing. At a time in my life, when it was really appropriate to try that thing, when the stakes were so low in terms of my trying that thing. And now I could still do it, but now I have these other concerns because I'm at a different stage of life and this is not an ideal time to try that. So how do we support our kids and their dreams while also giving them information, practical information that would be helpful? And it's that balance. It's not one or the other. It's not, let's be all practical. And it's not, let's all blindly, you know, let them follow whatever path, even though I think that there is some practical information that they should have along the way. Right. It's so interesting because like in general and the the themes of so many of the ideas that have come up is like, it's not ever as extreme and exciting sounding as just a very reasonable kind of middle path. But that is just like harder for marketing, like in terms of parenting and child development and therapeutic approaches and human relationships. It's just not as exciting sounding, but the reality is it's a lot of both and. Right. I think that there are so many times when parents think, well, what is the correct way to do this? Right. And I think that the correct way is, are you regulated in yourself? Are you emotionally regulated? Mm -hmm. Are you authentic? And are you being appropriate? So, and you know, I mean, those being appropriate, meaning like you're having boundaries that you need to have because you are the parent. People think, oh, I really want my kid to be able to talk to me. That's great. But that doesn't mean you get to talk to your kid the way that your kid talks to you. You don't get to like share your inner life in that way. There are some times when you will, but timing and developmental stage and you know, like you're still the parent. And a lot of parents who grew up with very hierarchical parents say, oh, I don't want that hierarchy. But the reality is your kid needs some kind of hierarchy, maybe not the one you grew up with, but they need to know that someone's in charge here. You know, like someone's the adult here. 
because, you know, it's very scary for kids when they feel like they don't have the adults. So maybe there's that cool parent out there that one of their friends has and they think, oh, it's so cool because that parent's so chill and that parent's so whatever. And it's like, we're going to have boundaries in our house and we have rules in our house. And, you know, you might think that that's really cool now and you can make that decision for yourself when you're a parent, but I'm going to, I'm going to give you some kind of structure. And by the way, it's kind of like the difference between, you know, having a fishbowl and an ocean. We want an aquarium. Mm. So the fishbowl is too small. The ocean is just too wide. They need more experience for that. In fact, we, even as adults, we need the aquarium. Like life is not a free for all. And so we need some kind of structure to feel safe. We need to be contained to some degree, but not so much that it's a fishbowl. So give your kid the aquarium. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.